0: Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare, but through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps, or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door.
2: You know what's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily? That's the brutal lesson Deborah learned when thieves found her home's title online, forged it, and literally took ownership of her home. In an instant, thieves legally owned Deborah's home. She got evicted and spent a fortune in legal fees trying to get it back. You know, the FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, and you do not want to be next. That's why I urge you to protect the online title to your home with Home Title Lock. You know, the legal documents to our homes are kept online where thieves hunt them. They forge the documents stating you sold your home. Then they borrow against your home and stick you with the payments. And no insurance or bank protects you. Home Title Lock does.
3: You could already be a victim of title fraud and not know it. Find out. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com and enter WATCH for one month of free protection. Again, enter WATCH for one month free at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com.
0: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to talk about the Nazification that we're seeing right now in the Trump administration. This is very, very troubling. This is a serious, tough time For democracy. We have a guy in the White House who actually admires autocrats. He's over in India with President Modi, who has just pushed through legislation that would make it virtually impossible for someone to become a citizen if they're not Hindu. I think Trump would like something like that if you're not Christian, even though Trump himself is not a Christian. He claims to be, but (laughs) really. You know, just like Falwell and, and all these guys. Oh, yeah, we're Christians, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know read Matthew 25 and call me back. We're seeing, I think, we're not quite Night of the Long Knives where people who opposed Hitler were actually killed, a few, but what came out of the Night of the Long Knives and other Nazification efforts was basically the purging of the German institutional government, the deep state as it were, the permanent institutional government, the civil servants the purging of the civil service of people who are not members of the Nazi Party. And we are seeing now at the federal level in the White House, we are seeing the purging of our federal government of people who are not Trump supporters. One of the things that they're using are the public records of campaign donations. You'll recall, you know, the, Trump's big hit on Andrew McCabe was that his wife ran for Congress unsuccessfully, but she ran for Congress as a Democrat. Oh my God, his wife is a Democrat. We can't have this guy as the number two in the FBI. And he's just, you know, mercilessly vilifying him. Well, there's this kind of big, overweight, but younger and muscular guy. He's 29 years old, who Donald Trump had originally hired as his body double. Think about that for a minute. He just made him the head of presidential personnel And gave this guy the job of purging, quote, never Trump civil servants, people in the federal government, this by the way is illegal, and promoting people who have donated to Donald Trump's campaign or who are pro-Trump, come to work wearing maggot hats or something like that. And they have a network of people who are compiling these lists, and on that network, are not just Republican Senate staffer, Barbara Ledeen, who's kind of famous for this kind of partisan stuff, but also Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. I mean, this is just extraordinary. This is from Axios, Jonathan Swan. Since Trump's Senate acquittal, aides say the president has crossed a psychological line regarding what he calls the deep state. He feels his government, from justice to state to defense to homeland security, is filled with, quote, snakes and wants them fired ASAP. Rich Higgins, who served on Trump's National Security Council back in 2017, likes this. H.R. McMaster removed Higgins after he wrote a memo speculating that trump's presidency faced threats from marxists the deep state so-called globalists bankers islamists and established republicans so the guy who who was removed by hr mcmaster when he was the chief of the national security council this guy saying oh isn't this wonderful higgins told jonathan swan of axios on sunday he stands by everything he wrote in his memo and says I would probably remove bankers if I had to do it over again. But basically he's, I mean this this is the kind of guy that Trump wants. He's saying Trump faces threats from Marxists, the deep state, so-called globalists, bankers, Islamists, and establishment Republicans. And it goes on from there. I mean you, you can read this thing. And others that they want to promote, Sheriff Dave Clark. And he wants to give him a senior homeland security role. Dan Bongino. Dan, I used to debate Dan Bongino almost every week back when I had a TV show in Washington, D.C. on RT, and he's a regular on Fox News. He's a former Secret Service agent. Trump likes to watch him on Fox News, so he's going to get kicked up into Homeland Security. A uh, guy who's an aide to Devin Nunes, his name is Derek Harvey. Trump wants him on the National Security Council. McMaster actually pushed him off the National Security Council because he was so crazy. He was such a crazed partisan. Right-wing talk show host Chris Plant, he wants they want him as press secretary. Ben Weingarten, he's a uh, a writer for the Federalist Society. They want him for the National Security Council. What we're seeing, in my opinion, is nothing less than essentially the Nazification of our country. And William McRaven wrote about this in an op-ed for the Washington Post. He starts out, now keep in mind, William McRaven is the guy who led the Navy SEAL operation against Bin Laden. And now Joe McGuire, William McRaven, who oversaw the SEAL raid that killed Osama bin Laden. He's a retired Navy admiral. He was commander of the special operations from 2011 to 2004. Trump has now gone after and fired Joe McGuire. Joe McGuire is a guy who, well, here's what McRaven says about him. He starts out by saying Edmund Burke, the Irish statesman and philosopher, once said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And then he starts talking about Joe McGuire, who Trump just knocked off. He says Maguire served for 36 years as a Navy SEAL. In 2004, he was promoted to the rank of Rear Admiral and was chosen to command all of naval special warfare, including the SEALs. When Joe retired in 2010 he tried the corporate world but his passion for special operations soldiers was so deep that he left that lucrative job and took a position as the president of the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, a charity that pays for educating the children of fallen warriors. In 2018 Joe was asked to be the director of the National Counterterrorism Center, a job he knew well from his last assignment as a vice admiral. He didn't seek to fill the job, he didn't want the job, he was asked to do it by Trump. At first he said no, said Sue Gordon would be better, that was Dan Coats number two, but Trump didn't like Sue Gordon either, he fired her too after he fired Dan Coats because they persisted in saying that Russia was trying to mess with our elections. And so then Joe gets the job and now Joe is out because he wants to tell the truth about what's going on. And as Admiral McRaven says, Good men and women don't last long in this administration. Joe was dismissed for doing his job, overseeing the dissemination of intelligence to elected officials who needed that information to do their jobs. His crime, he had his assistant brief the Intelligence Committee and the U.S. House of Representatives about the state of our intelligence on the Russians in the election. And McRaven ends this with this. And I think that you need to listen very carefully and we need to take this very seriously. We are not talking about what might happen if Donald Trump feels more powerful. We are talking about where we are at now. McRaven writes, as Americans we should be frightened, deeply afraid for the future of our nation. When good men and women can't speak the truth, when facts are inconvenient, when integrity and character no longer matter, When presidential ego and self-preservation are more important than national security then there is nothing left to stop the triumph of evil the guy who oversaw the 2011 navy seal raid in pakistan that killed osama bin laden commander of u.s special operations command retired Navy Admiral William McRaven coming right out in the Washington Post and saying Donald Trump is evil. And what he is doing is evil. And it should scare all of us. And I am deeply concerned. I am deeply concerned that they're planning to steal the next election. I'm going to be writing an op-ed about it this week. How could Trump steal the election? There's a couple of ways. The Constitution says that the electors for the state can be essentially assigned by the state legislature. Not the governor, the state legislature. If Wisconsin and Michigan are swing states, these are both states where the state legislature. And the legislature, by the way, is the combination of all the senators and all the members of either the House or the Assembly or whatever they may call it. So it's literally all of the legislators. In Wisconsin, Michigan, and, and I believe in Pennsylvania, I'd have to go back and look, but in several of these potential swing states, what you have is a legislature that is dominated by Republicans, even when you have a Democratic governor. And you'll recall, if those of you old enough to remember the 2000 election, The state Supreme Court in Florida said, we're going to recount every vote. Had they completed that recount, by the way, Al Gore would have been president. We now know that because of the recount that was done by the Washington Post and the New York Times. It wasn't reported until a year later. It was reported about five weeks after 9-11, and they buried it in the New York Times. It was buried the 17th paragraph in the story. By any measure, Al Gore won Florida. And why did they bury it? Because 9-11 had just happened and nobody wanted to be challenging the legitimacy of George W. Bush during the greatest national emergency since Pearl Harbor. I mean, this is a Pearl Harbor style event, which ironically is what the something for a new American century said needed to happen in order to invade Iraq. We want to invade Iraq. So anyhow, you'll recall in the 2000 election when Florida's Supreme Court said, we're going to recount all the votes. A member of the Florida legislature, a Republican member of the Florida legislature, introduced legislation, which easily could have passed. You know, the, the Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, and the governorship in Florida. Jeb Bush was the governor. They introduced legislation that would require all of Florida's electors to cast their votes for George W. Bush, regardless of the recount. could have done it. And this year, Wisconsin could do it. The Wisconsin legislature. Look at some of the shenanigans that these guys have done in the past, where the Democrats walk out to try and prevent them having a quorum. The Michigan legislature could do this. I believe the Pennsylvania legislature could do this. There are a number of states that I think Bernie could carry very easily because their Democratic electorate is substantial in these states, and it's really energized. It's partly really energized by the fact that Donald Trump is just such a vicious, fascist, obscene pretender to the presidency. And it's partly from this huge coalition that Bernie Sanders has pulled together of people of color, of working class people, of union people, of poor people, of students, of people concerned, older people concerned about their social security and Medicare, which Donald Trump is actively trying to cut. I mean, it's, it's literally literally right across the board's coalition that Bernie Sanders has pulled together and that Elizabeth Warren is also speaking to. At the same time that we're hearing Mike Bloomberg saying, this was a few years ago, but the video just came out yesterday, well, if somebody who is 95 shows up with prostate cancer, instead of giving them treatment, we should just say, you've had a good life, go on home. Old folks need not apply for health care in the billionaire's world. Well, if you're a billionaire and you're 95 and you have prostate cancer, of course, you're gonna have a, your doctor's going to do something about it. The other way that the Republicans could steal the vote goes back to Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden in the election of 1876 there were 369 total electoral votes. So you had to have 185 to win. Tilden, the Democrat, had 184. But of the undisputed electoral votes, Rutherford Hayes, the Republican, only had 163. Again, they needed 185 to win. And the reason for this was that 22 electors were represented by Florida, Louisiana, Oregon, and South Carolina. And in all four of those states, there were credible accusations of election fraud, That the Republicans had been literally, well, this is from uh, Ohio State Senator James Monroe. It was published in the October 1893 issue of The Atlantic. He said, Democrats responded that these returns were the products of fraud and dishonesty. In preparing them, the vote of whole precincts, parishes, and counties had been thrown out in order to secure Hayes electors, that fraud vitiates everything, that no pretended state rights should serve as a shelter to fraud. Furthermore, they said that these state governments were not really state governments because they were under the moral influence of federal bayonets. Keep in mind, Florida, or uh, Louisiana, and South Carolina were then occupied by Union troops who were Republican, and the Republicans basically rigged the vote. So I'll tell you after the break how they resolved that, and what lessons it might have for us, because that was an election where the Democrat won the majority vote, and by one vote, win the you electoral listening College. to the Tom Hartman program. And the Republican, Rutherford Hayes, was way behind, but he was given the presidency. I'll tell you how that could happen. Tom Harvin here with you. Back to Hayes' election. Neither one of them got enough electoral votes to clearly be over the top. And there were four states that were contested. In other words, one of the candidates was screaming fraud. He was saying there was fraud in these four states. And it was the guy who was one vote short of having the electoral vote. That was Tilden. He was the Democrat representing the South. So what happened was, if there's not a clear winner in the Electoral College, which can come about two ways. In the case of the 1876, it came about because there was four states that were contested. It could come about this time if there were four states where Donald Trump and Fox News and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh all start yelling, you know, well, that vote in Wisconsin, that vote in Michigan, that vote was in South Carolina, those things were rigged. It says Bernie Sanders won, but in fact, Donald Trump won. And if they can get that out there to the point that we have another Brooks Brothers riot, you've got, you know, basically protest Republicans protesting in the streets and saying, no, 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 then those individual states could flip their electoral votes. And then you could have, you know, this crisis. So what happens if there's a essentially a crisis with the electoral vote? two things. Number one, the electoral votes are presented to the vice president. The president of the Senate is the vice president of the United States. Now, in the case in the 1876 election, the vice president had just recently died. So a member of the Senate was filling in for him being the president of the Senate. So that kind of changed the dynamic. Mike Fence will be the president of the Senate. And you will recall in the 2004 election, John Edwards was asking people, to ask Dick Cheney not to certify the election. And in the 2016 election, Pramila Jayapal told this story on stage with me last Wednesday night in Seattle, front of a thousand people in town hall, she said that she was asking Joe Biden, because he was vice president, not to certify the 2016 election until somebody had looked into what happened in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and Ohio, why Trump won by these little tiny margins when all the exit polls showed that Hillary Clinton won those states decisively. And Joe Biden refused to say, no, I won't certify the election. He certified the election, and boom, that was the end of discussion. But if the vice president doesn't certify the election, which is what happened in 1876, and could happen if Trump loses both the electoral vote and the popular vote, but they're squealing about voter fraud, then Mike Pence says, I will not certify the election. And then according to the constitution, the decision is made by the House of Representatives, not the Senate, the House of Representatives. You say, well, that's cool. The House of Representatives right now is controlled by the Democrats. However, the way it works is, that each state gets one vote. The House of Representatives ends up being 50 votes. There are 50 states. Now, I haven't gone through and listed recently how many states are Republican controlled, but I believe it's 32 because we were trying to get, you know, they were trying to get to 34 for this whole, let's have a, a constitutional convention thing. But it is a majority. A majority of the states are Republican controlled. So all that has to happen, like I said, we have actually seen this movie before in 1876, and we ended up with the guy who was losing as president. Now, the compromise that they made, the Republicans wanted... Hayes to be the president, and the Democrats, what they wanted was the Union soldiers out of the South. They wanted to end Reconstruction, and that was called the Great Compromise of 1877. It was made in January 1877, because back then the president was inaugurated on March 3rd, and they wanted to get it done before March, And, and it went right up to late February, this whole debate. But they came to a compromise where the Southern Democrats got what they wanted, the end of Reconstruction, and the Northern Republicans got what they wanted, their guy as president. I don't see such a compromise happening this time. Instead, what would happen is if, if Trump and Fox News and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh can convince enough Americans to get into the streets and yell and scream like, like we saw in Florida in 2000, that the Democrats are trying to steal the election, or just stole the election, by virtue of, of voter fraud, and they have they have been sowing this ground since 2000. If they can do that, Mike Pence can say, "I'm not going to certify the election. It goes to the House of Representatives. Each state has one vote, and Donald Trump becomes president under the Constitution, without breaking any laws." in a way that would be absolutely supported by the Supreme Court because it's in the Constitution. This could happen and we need to prepare for it. I am deeply concerned about all these things, and we all need to get as many people out there and involved as possible and if you have friends in red states make sure that they check their voter registration make sure that they are registered but keep checking their voter registration especially if you live in a red state in a college town or in an area that has a high concentration of african-americans or if you yourself have a common african-american or hispanic last name or an asian last name you will be purged check your voting rules This is the Tom Hartman Program. We need to blow this thing out. We need a blue wave that is a tsunami. And I think it's coming, but we can't take it for granted. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Online with us is our old buddy, Mark Carlin. Mark is the founder and editor of BuzzFlash.com. BuzzFlash, just an absolutely great website. If you want to know what's going on in the world, you want the news, and you want Mark's op-eds or editorials, check it out. BuzzFlash has uh, always been one of my very favorite websites. Their lead story, Banana Republic, Creeping Fascism, Don Corleone, Trump hijacks Department of Justice to help out his criminal cronies and punish truth-tellers. But the second story is about how some Senate Democrats are now talking about impeaching Bill Barr. If he won't leave, I mean, this is this guy has been covering up for Republican presidents since 1992. He covered up the Iran-Contra investigation. He covered up the Iraq weapons of mass destruction investigation. Those were back during the the Reagan and Bush administrations. And now he has shut down six investigations into Donald Trump when he became Attorney General. I believe he shut down the Mueller investigation prematurely. We don't know if that's the case for sure, yes or no. I mean, there's still a huge debate about it. Bill Barr. This is, you know, very, very problematic. I mean, this is a serious issue here. The other appeal, though, that is out there is to John Roberts, to the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Please do something, John Roberts. You know, about Donald Trump going after Amy Berman Jackson, the judge in New York City who Trump refers to as a Clinton judge. I believe Bill Clinton appointed her to the bench. And therefore, she can't be fair, of course she's the one who was in charge of the Manafort investigation, the Flynn investigation, and now the Roger Stone investigation, or trials. So people are saying, well, John Roberts, save us from, you know, the evil Donald Trump and save Amy Berman Jackson, Judge Judge Jackson. Well, here's the thing you need to know about John Roberts. John Roberts worked in the Reagan administration. There's a whole chapter about John Roberts in the Reagan administration in my book about the hidden history of the Supreme Court and the betrayal of America. John Roberts went down to Florida in 2000 because he had clerked for the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, William Rehnquist. So he knew Rehnquist and he knew how to make an argument that Rehnquist would pay attention to. He went down to Florida and helped george w bush's legal team when they were suing al gore and the state of florida to stop the recount that the state of florida's supreme court had ordered because the florida constitution requires perhaps it was florida law but requires that if an election is within a half a point that a recount is mandatory and the state supreme court upheld that and the u.s supreme court blocked that clear violation of the 10th amendment but john roberts helped the legal team to make that happen in 2000 and as a thank you very much to john roberts for that george w bush made him chief justice of the u.s supreme court from being just a you know a lawyer who had worked who had worked for reagan moving from a lawyer into hey chief justice of the u.s supreme court i am not holding my breath for john roberts to save us john roberts was the guy who wrote the opinion that we no longer need section five of the voting rights act which prevents Southern states from closing polling places in black neighborhoods. We no longer need that because there's no more racism in America because it's 2013 and Barack Obama became president. And I'm not exaggerating or making that up. You can read the decision. So we have to save ourselves. It's, it's not going to be John Roberts who's going to save us. Mark, welcome back to the program. Thank you tom it's a pleasure to be on again so back in the 90s when george herbert walker bush was president and he wanted to make bill barr his attorney general there was a guy who went to high school and college with bill Barr who wrote an op-ed basically saying bill Barr is a bully that just kind of vanished i mean that was what 30 years ago more nearly 30 years ago it was yeah. on november 18th
2: it was published 1951 in the Florida state
0: university law school 1991 in uh, paper yeah 1991 but this guy reached out to you in the modern era tell us about that
2: uh, he brought me he's a long time reader from our very beginnings in 2000. he's a defense attorney in fact he defends death penalty cases hmm. and He uh, wrote me an email in December, and he sent me this reprint of this article from the university paper, 1991, and wrote me some of his thoughts about what he believes is the evil of Bill Barr. And I read the article and was absolutely fascinated. It's very vivid, it's incisive, it's very candid, and very prescient considering that we're in Bill Barr's second term as Attorney General, All right. and he fulfilled the evil that Jimmy Lohman, the author, predicted. He wrote the article at a time he thought he might have some impact, even though it was a long shot, because it was just after the confirmation hearings under George Herbert Walker Bush by the Senate for Bill Barr to become Attorney General. And he was unanimously voted out of committee. Jimmy was quite upset about this because the committee was controlled by none other than Joe Biden, who was not too far off his disastrous Anita Hill hearings in deference to Republicans who really verbally abused her and in some way sexually abused her in a verbal manner. He feels that Joe Biden was very eager to approve Bill Barr and that he respected Bill Barr because Bill Barr was a member of the establishment, an Ivy League graduate. And I think he said that Biden referred to him as someone who was refreshingly
0: candid. And. We're talking with Mark Carlin, the editor and publisher of BuzzFlash.com, about this guy who, back in 1991, when Bill Barr first was coming into government, was saying before the Senate had the full confirmation vote, hang on, guys, there's something wrong with this guy. He basically says he was a sadistic bully. To be frank, it's in the article. He says that Bill Barr and
2: another very heavyset student at Horace Mann an elite school in New York in Bronx just outside of Manhattan would regularly physically beat him up basically he said Mm -hmm. because they were enraged by my Jew commie ass and that's the quote he now says that upon reflection his experiences with Barr seem somewhat trivial because he is evil incarnate in what he is doing in the name of a uh, unitary executive authority to allow Trump to proceed with anything he would like done in the Department of Justice to right. benefit
0: Trump. Yeah, well, he believes in this unitary executive theory that the president is basically the king. And, uh, you know, he did it with George Herbert Walker Bush when he, it was Bill Barr who engineered the cover-up both of what William Sapphire referred to as Iraq gate, which was the scandal where the Reagan administration was selling weapons of mass destruction illegally to Saddam Hussein. Thus, we have that famous photo of our for- former uh, Secretary of Defense shaking hands with Saddam Hussein. And he covered up the Iran-Contra scandal, which helped Ronald Reagan get elected in 1980. That was Bill Barr, and now he's attorney general again. So, Mark Carlin, editor of BuzzFlash.com, what are you suggesting we do with this knowledge that Bill Barr, apparently for his entire life, has been just a, you know, a relentless bully?
2: Well, you wrote a wonderful article in Salon about his history. He was- in government before he became attorney general, he was deputy attorney general, assistant attorney general. He was in the CIA under
0: George W. Bush. He was the lawyer, yeah.
2: Legal counsel. Yeah. And I think that what we should take from Jimmy Lohman's piece is that Bill Barr believes in the absolute authority, both of the Republican Party, of the Catholic Church, and of a Republican president. I think you might have noted in your article, Jimmy, noted in his that William Safire, a Republican columnist at the New York Times at the time, called Barr the cover-up attorney general. He called him cover-up general.
0: That was the title he used, cover-up general Barr.
2: And, and nothing has changed, so I think we had a lesson to learn when the media wonders and takes. For a truth that Bill Barr is going to resign or he's upset with Trump's tweets, this is just
0: kabuki theater. Yeah, absolutely. This guy needs to be impeached. Mark Carlin, uh, editor of BuzzFlash.com. You can read all about it. The headline, Bill Barr was a sick and sadistic kid who was a fascist high school tormentor and bully classmate recalls to BuzzFlash. Mark Carlin, BuzzFlash.com. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tom. Good talking with you. Hey, friends, wanted to give you the latest news about my good friend Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show, but that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's now out with a great new podcast, the Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Check out the Bill Press Pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives, like Maxine Waters, Mark Bokan, Jamie Raskin, all roasting Donald Trump, plus his lively end of the week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House Congress and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in our country, so I'm so glad he's still out there on the left and stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for the Bill Press pod, click on subscribe, and you're in for a true progressive experience on the Bill Press pod check out Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Tom Harvin here with you and Connie in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Connie, what's up? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM.
1: I just wanted to give you um, a phone number. It's a comment line I found for to call for William Barr. Really? And it's, Yeah. And if everybody would call there
0: and just... I have my pen out. What's the number, Connie? 202-353-1555. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Have you called this number? Oh, yeah. When it gets answered, what is it? Is it a recording?
1: Yeah, well, it asks you some different options, you know, if you want to hear about other topics or whatever, and then mm. the, the last one is to leave a comment.
0: Oh, okay, two zero two three five three fifteen fifty five. Great. Right. Connie, thank you very much. So it's getting fascinating. Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's up? The question is: is if they do impeach Meyer, how does that work? I mean, who steps in and runs it like the attorney general would? if he's the one being investigated. Well, it would be the it would be the assistant attorney general and until the president appoints a new attorney general number 1 and and number 2 the way that the impeachment works of a cabinet officer is the exact same way it works for the president. You hold hearings in the House of Representatives, the House presumably the judiciary committee refers articles of impeachment to the full House. They vote on them. If he's impeached in the House, then it goes to the Senate for a trial. We just saw this whole movie. It would have to replay itself. And I, you know, as much as I think Bill Barr has committed a peach offenses that go all the way back to 1992, I don't see it happening. Tom Harbin here with you and Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today?
3: Hey, not too much, Tom. You did a great rundown of how Trump might steal this election, he's got so many tools in his arsenal okay i just want to i just want to um, emphasize a couple that I, and i have no reason to think he won't i mean i'm looking for evidence to see that trump won't steal the election but i can't find any all right he's basically and, said
0: he's going to he's talking about you know third fourth fifth terms he's he's talking about how they're you know the democrats are already rigging the vote and you know et cetera. i guarantee you they're going to contest this election dave no matter what the victory margin is
3: Yes, and the tools at his arsenal are impressive. But anyways, the uh, one thing I wanted to say is this, this emotive uh, conditioning or this emotional, um, this fight or f- the, the fight or flight thing that that they're stimulating in all of us and what, what it does. Now, let me just give you one quick example of how powerful this is. You know, media personalities, uh, pundits. I've even seen liberal. I, I don't think you ever fell for it but i've seen others that have fallen for it trump voters call up and they say liberals are so stupid they think um ar in the ar-15 stands for assault rifle when it actually stands for armalite. every single pundit i've heard has demurred on that they said okay well you know check this out tom i have not heard a single pundit say that and i listened carefully what 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 the people say is AR, uh, that the AR-15 is a, is an assault rifle. They mm-hmm. don't say what AR stands for. You see, and, and what the Trump people are doing is passive-aggressive, right? They're confronting us with aggression in a passive manner, and it's stimulating that it, it, It's co-opting our ability to think critically. And I also saw, like, a bumper sticker here that kind of didn't sit well with me. It said, F Trump and f vladimir putin and had pictures of them this was an expensive well-made bumper sticker hmm. and and the thing is is we've got to be careful not to fall into that trap where we are compromising our our ability to think critically all right and this thing with um russia well, dave what do you what do you
0: think about a bumper sticker that says trump putin 2020.
3: Right, is, this is fine <laughs> and i'm not trying to stop I'm not trying to stop, uh, you know, just natural combativeness, Okay, right. what I'm trying to say right. is we've got to not fall for the flight or the fight or flight response. Okay, because well, once, I, I think okay, part it, of that,
0: I, not falling for that, is to not get hysterical like Chris Matthews does, or or James Carville does, or Claire McCaskill does, or Joe Scarborough does, or you know, I, I could go through the, the, the list of everybody on MSNBC um, whenever anybody says, "Oh, Barney's a socialist." I mean, you know, I got, I, I came to this studio by dri- by walking on our socialist roads. I left my home knowing that it was safe because it was protected by our socialist fire department. I was not hit by a crazed car because of our socialist police departments. When Louise and I do go, I, you know, I drove down to X-Ray FM to do a Jefferson Smith's show this morning. And it was in a car that was safe because of our socialist National Highway Transportation Administration and their safety standards for cars. Um, and I was able to read the stop signs because I went to our socialist public schools. So, right. I, I mean, well, he, finish, finish your thought, Dave. You got, you got 10 seconds. Well,
3: well, well here, here's what's true. Uh, Vladimir Putin did help Trump, but he, we, he, you know, Trump didn't admit it. Trump, for some reason, is keeping it secret. The Russians tried to help 11 uh, presidential candidates in the past. Trump's the only one that kept it secret. Wow.
0: Amazing. Dave, thanks for the call.
3: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
0: this is the tom hartman program our book today is in defense of public service by cedric l alexander the subtitle is how 22 million government workers will save our republic this is from chapter one civil servants and servant leaders unelected public servants are found at all levels of government federal state and local but the modern model for all is found in the federal employment systems more specifically it is in the concept and operation of the federal civil service system, which governs the appointment and tenure of most federal workers. Those who believe that the unelected federal bureaucracy is a deep state covertly dedicated to the overthrow of elected government, see the civil service as a fundamentally unconstitutional innovation, a monster of very recent creation. Such demonizing mythology aside, the truth is that the origin of the unelected government is found in the Constitution under Section 2 of Article 2. The article defines the powers of the executive branch, and the second paragraph of its section two assigns to the president the power to, quote, nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for and which shall be established by law, end quote. Thus, the President has the power to make all appointments not otherwise provided for in the Constitution. These are subject to the Senate's advice and consent unless Congress, by law, vests the appointment of such inferior officers as they may think proper in the President alone, in the courts of law or in the heads of departments. In other words, the unelected government, which I have called the fourth branch, is rooted in the Constitution through the powers that it grants either to the President or to Congress. In turn, Congress may grant the president, the courts, or heads of departments the power to hire unelected public servants. In all cases, however, the creation of the unelected government flows from the Constitution, the supreme authority and originating law of the nation. The framers of the Constitution recognize that the elected government of our republic was not in itself sufficient to govern us. It cannot alone get government done. It does not alone possess all the expertise necessary to lead, let alone manage, so vast an enterprise as a nation. If this was true in the late 18th century, it's even truer in the 21st century geopolitical and technological environment that is far more complex, and that therefore requires a cadre of professionals possessing a wide variety of specialized skills, training, education, and experience." Constitution does not call these appointments and hires a fourth branch, but that is what the Federal Service and other government workers constitute. De jure, in law, there is no fourth branch of U.S. government, yet it unquestionably exists de facto, in practice, in reality, in fact. Does the fourth branch compete with the three constitutionally established branches? No. It coexists with them, as provided for in Section 2 of Article 2 of the Constitution itself. Those three constitutional branches are absolutely necessary to our republic, but they are not sufficient to it, as the framers acknowledged. Moreover, as I've already observed, for most people, most of the time, and in most situations, it is the member of the fourth branch who are, practically speaking, the government. They are the doers. They implement the policies created and interpreted by the three constitutional branches. What is more, although they do not decide or decree policy, they often influence it, not covertly, but by intention and design. The Constitution assigns the Senate the roles of advising on and consenting to most major presidential appointments, but members of the fourth branch do far more advising on a daily basis when it comes to providing the subject matter expertise and feedback necessary to formulate and modify policy decisions. As it turned out, following the coming into effect of the Constitution in 1789, the president, the chief executive, that is the elected official responsible for faithfully executing the laws, directly or indirectly appointed the unelected personnel whom he deemed necessary to execute government. Most of the agencies in which personnel of the unelected government served were created by the executive branch under Article 2. And for a full 170 years after the Constitution was ratified, the president had the unquestioned authority to appoint and to terminate what were, in effect, employees of his branch, the executive branch. Indeed, in 1789, Congress explicitly voted by a narrow margin that it had no authority of approval or disapproval of presidential decisions to terminate appointees. Only those few public positions That were independent of the executive branch which today are known as independent agencies were not subject to presidential appointment or termination in 1829 andrew jackson took office as the seventh president of the united states he was regarded as the apostle of the rights of the common man and he made it clear that he intended to usher in an era of a more highly participatory democracy during his two terms and under his influence many states substantially extended the still males-only franchise, by dropping property requirements from the ballot. And Johnson waged a mighty battle against the Second Bank of the United States in a successful effort to loosen credit and thereby free up sources for finance. In Defense of Public Service by Cedric Alexander. Tom Harbin here with you, and boy, what an amazing time, right? What, what an amazing time we live in. Howard in New York City. Hey, Howard, what's on your mind today? I've watched all the debates and heard the news, and I don't think there's any way
2: that any of our candidates are going to beat Trump, and not because of their policies, but Trump and his advertising will annihilate them. So my only idea around this is that you got to get a billion or two billion dollars in gut-wrenching negative ads, for example, and not from, uh, not from Bloomberg, and I'll tell you who it's from. Um, in other words, yeah, the ad might be 20% of Manhattan is underwater by the turn of the century. Florida coastline is gone. Just scare the hell out of people. But the people we need to put up right now, it, it's got to be Buffett, Gates, and Beethoven. They got to pop a, mi- a billion dollars negative advertising. I don't care who they support. Yeah. We got to get Trump out, and I don't know why these. I get it, an Howard, and
0: I and I really think that in this election. And thanks for the call. I think in this election we're going to see a mobilization of uh, both people and money like we've never seen before on both sides, frankly. And you know, when I when I mentioned the eighteen seventy six election, the Tilden uh, Hayes election, um, in the first hour of the program, when I laid out how I think that Donald Trump can actually lose the Electoral College and lose the popular vote and still stay in the White House legally and constitutionally. When I laid that out, uh, the one detail that I I neglected to mention was that there was 81% voter turnout in that election, 1876. It was was the first major contested election after Reconstruction, after the southern states were brought back into the Union, and uh, it was huge. 81 percent. I mean, we haven't seen 81. We've never, that was the only election in the history of the United States where a uh, presidential election voter turnout was over 80 percent. It was incredible. By the way, I mentioned earlier this uh, story. I, I want to I put it on your radar screen, particularly if you're a federal employee. Uh, Donald Trump, yes, uh, last Thursday, uh, published a memo in the Federal Register that says that uh, the 750,000 civilian workers who work for the Department of Defense. My uncle Stan used to be one of these people down in uh, St. Louis, um, yeah, worked at the Air Force base there. These three quarters of a million civilian workers are unionized. And Trump published a memo saying that national the collective bargaining rights at the Department of Defense should be scrapped, quote, in the interest of protecting the American people because unions are, quote, a threat to national security. Donald Trump is trying to destroy another union, this one with three quarters of a million people, 750,000 federal workers. Spread the word. Excuse me, this is wrong. This is just absolutely wrong. John in Morris, Illinois. Hey, John, what's on your mind? In
2: 1979, Harvard Armstrong, predicted that Christ would come back. I remember Herbert
0: W. Armstrong and his hour of power on TV every Sunday morning, right? Am I remembering? This was was like the 50s. I was a little kid. I remember him. Anyhow, go ahead. He predicted he would come back in 75. That
2: church gave him four years in 79. The state of California took over that church. Hmm. Armstrong, said this government has got to be destroyed. And the first one that bailed him out was Ronald Reagan.
0: When he was governor of California?
2: That's right. That's and amazing. then he ran for president in 1980.
0: Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, and, Herbert W. And, Armstrong. That was a cult, basically. I mean that that whole uh, you know it, it turned out that Armstrong was running a cult and uh, not a healthy one well, at all. Well, so
2: what Armstrong was doing, he was explaining three days and three nights in the grave, and actually he was truthful about that. Yeah, he yeah. just. He just slipped into the gutter when his prediction didn't come true. Yeah, because God was the only
0: one who predicted the return of Christ. If if you're if you if you believe that that's going to happen, that's certainly consistent with the way you would view it. Heidi in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Heidi, what's on your mind today?
1: I've called several times before. I'm kind of your your Nazi Germany expert. Okay. My father was a multilingual intelligence officer, so that I was raised in Europe literally in the shadows of Nazism. Um, He, um, when he was very young, he interrogated and and denazified, um, you know, the lowest, lowest level of Nazis, you know, who just needed to pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, there's two things I want to tell you, so please don't cut me off. One, and I'm part Jewish. One, I will tell you that... um, Trump is indeed a Nazi. The second thing I will tell you, in response to Bob, I'm 59 years old. I called a few years ago. I had a a son by assisted reproductive technology, and um, my son was named after Bernie. Sweet. Um, my, 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 father, um, was, you know, stationed in Europe before I was born. Then I spent years there. He was stationed back again, um, after I left home. So he spent the second part of his life <laughs> fighting the communists, basically. Um, his languages were German, French, Russian, Czech, and some Italian. Mm -hmm. And because of his language skills, you know, we were really able to get out and about and not just the tourist sites. He he also had a graduate degree in medieval history. Mm -hmm. I am deeply, deeply offended by that man, Bob, because even though it sounds glamorous, I cannot begin to tell you the sacrifices my father made. He had tremendous PTSD. He never, ever Slept a, a whole night in his life, and I will tell you: when the parents serve, the children serve.
0: Heidi, uh, for for the interruption. Not a communist. But but Heidi, can I, I don't I don't know who this Bob is you're talking about. Uh, you know, can you can you for people who might have just tuned in, can you tell them what Bob said that has you so uh, upset?
1: He said that um, Bernie is a communist.
0: Oh. Yeah. My
1: father spent his life fighting the communists. And actually, I called you before, you know, growing up in Europe as an Air Force brat, I had much more in common with my quote, socialist European friends and i went in you know because we did get out and about and i went into deep culture shock when we came back to this country so i really know the difference between communism and democratic socialism bernie's only mistake is not using the european name which is social democrat but as i said i am deeply deeply offended by that man and he is bloody wrong
0: The guy who called Bernie a communist. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, you know, he might have been a troll or he might have just been some, you know, sadly and deeply misguided guy. Um, Bernie has never, on this program, uh, and he was on every Friday for 11 years, Bernie never even called himself a socialist. He calls himself a democratic socialist. And there's a huge difference. But, you know, that be as it may, I'm going to keep on saying, you know, hey, I drove on socialist roads to get here, and I'm, my house is protected by the socialist fire department, and I know how to read because I went to socialist public schools, and a little bit of socialism is not a bad thing. And it is a whole different thing from communism, as you point out, Heidi, and you pointed out so eloquently. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate your call. We'll be back. It's 20 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program, your media support group for We the People. Fair, and only slightly unbalanced. So, you look in the mirror and you see those wrinkles around your eyes, crow's feet, under-eye bags. Now, just imagine that they're gone. And I'm not talking about going in for some kind of risky, expensive surgery. Just gone, in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. You can see the demonstrations over on their website at triplexiderm.com. They actually have videos of this in 10 minutes or less. In just a few minutes, you see these radical changes. It's remarkable. You look 10 years younger. I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TriPlexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's TriPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. Welcome back. It's 34 minutes past the hour of the Tom Hartman Program, the place where despair is not an option. As people are bailing out of the stock market, they're bailing into the bond market. They're buying TLT and and all these variations on on, uh, exchange-traded funds, ETFs, that are invested in U.S. government bonds, as well as other bonds. You see municipal bonds and and state bonds and all kinds of corporate bonds. All kinds of bonds are, are going up in price and value because they're going down in terms of the interest rate that they pay, because the more demand there is for the bond, the less interest they have to pay. It's a weird kind of upside down you know, this for that, but that's how it works. And so what's happening right now is that if the, just the reduction in interest rates we've seen just in the last few weeks as a result of the, of the collapse in the stock market, if those stand, you could see mortgage interest rates go down by as much as a full percentage point six months or nine months down the road and they may go down even more and what this does is it causes the price of housing to go up because when people are looking at buying a house they're not looking at can we afford a hundred thousand dollars for this house they're looking at can we afford three hundred dollars a month for this house and as the interest rates go down for that $300 a month, right now you might be buying a $100,000 house, but if the interest rates drop at another point, that might be a $120,000 house. So what happens is everybody who has a $100,000 house for sale starts charging 120 dollars for it because you know, now the same people are, are eligible to buy it. And this is the thing that over the last, since 2008, over, basically over the last 10, 12 years, has been driving the explosion in housing prices, which is also driving the explosion in homelessness. And in, and in people who are living you know way below where they should be in terms of, of housing, and it's not just housing. It, it, it'll also make it easier to buy a car on time, buy a car through a bank, but leases are the typical ones. And along with that, it probably won't affect credit card interest rates because they're as high as they can get anyway. You already get screwed with credit cards. But you know, bottom line with all of this stuff is that there is this debt bomb. We have more consumer debt than we have ever had in the history of this country. We have more government debt than we've ever had in the history of this country. We have more corporate debt than we've ever had before in the history of this country. And the only thing that's preventing any of those three from blowing up in our face is that interest rates are down well below 2% and in some cases in the neighborhood of 1%. If those interest rates start rising back to normal, which is two to 5%, if they start rising back up to normal, those debt bombs are going to explode and every year that goes by that we maintain these low interest rates we're going to see an increase in housing prices and thus indebtedness. We're going to see an increase in the number of people who are buying cars who really shouldn't be buying new cars. By the way the subprime car market and the subprime mortgage market right now literally this moment and the subprime student loan market these are all people who got loans who have low credit ratings. They're literally called subprime markets. Those three markets, housing, cars, student loans, in the subprime area, are at all-time highs in terms of defaults, which is a warning signal. That's the canary in the coal mine just knocking over unconscious. So get ready. It's coming. It's coming without the coronavirus. And obviously, the uh, stupid response of the Trump administration to lay off and fire and shut down the entire departments in Homeland Security and National Security Council to deal with pandemic diseases because we have to save money because we've got to pay for those billionaires tax cuts. And also diverting money away from the Centers for Disease Control to Trump's wall. I mean, all this stuff is just really helping us out, isn't it? You know, all of us have things that kind of keep us up, right? You know, for me, among them is taking a walk, trying to get out in nature, walking through. There's a park down the street from where we live. We're nearby the Columbia River. Louise and I try to walk along the river every morning for a mile or so. Those are things that do it for me. You know, saying prayers for my friends and family and and even my enemies and and my president uh, seems to do it for me. As skeptical as I am about any Bronze Age sky god doing anything i subscribe to the christian science notion that we're all connected somehow and that when you pray for somebody you actually are sending a good energy their way i I pray for my staff here i pray for all kinds of folks but i do it because it makes me feel good right I, I, i think it's doing some good but and one of the things that has really been a constant through my life is a poem i learned when i was in high school and i just wanted to share it with you it's by Henry Wadsworth Longsfellow, and it's called A Psalm of Life. The subtitle is What the Heart of the Young Man Said to the Psalmist. Tell me not in mournful numbers that life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act that each tomorrow finds us further than today. Art is long and time is fleeting in our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating, funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb driven cattle, be a hero in the strife Trust no future, how air pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present, heart within and God o'erhead. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime. Leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another sailing o'er life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother seeing shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with the heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing. Learn to labor and to wait. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Picture your face in the mirror. Do you see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet or large under eye bags? Now, imagine that they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I saw the results for myself. You'll be delighted, too. You'll look just like you, only 10 years younger. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. You will be, too. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends, and the best part is Plexiderm goes unclear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1 800 685 1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30 day money back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com code VOICES.